Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Little known fact about my guest today, she is a journalist and she has won 13 Emmy Awards for her work. Welcome, welcome, Tamsin Fidel to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Tamsin Fidel. Tamsin is an American journalist, a news anchor at WPIX in New York City, the author of the new single, Finding, Fixing, and Falling Back in Love with Yourself. She is the host and executive producer of the Broadway show and is an advocate for middle women's health, for midlife women's health. She is a popular TikTok creator who shares her experiences as a woman over 50 in menopause. Tamsin covered the history-making appearance of Hamilton in Puerto Rico in 2019 after Hurricane Maria devastated the island nation. She has podcasts. I have been obsessively watching her on TikTok recently, and I'm so thrilled to get to welcome Tamsin Fidel to the podcast. Hello. Hi there. How are you? Good. I mean, there are so many different lanes that you drive down and oh. and have content that you share and news that you cover and stories that you're passionate about. So obviously, this podcast is very Broadway centric. So, so many people know you yes. and Paul Wondrick from your incredible coverage of Broadway and its stars. Um, and also when Broadway was shut down from COVID and then came back, you were such a big presence in helping sort of shed light on what was happening and how to re-enter the Broadway space, feeling safe and enthusiastic. So thank you for that. Thank um, you so much. I also know that aside from being a journalist, I mentioned one of the books that you wrote, but you also were a matchmaker for a long time, um, which I think is a skill set that people would be obsessed <laughs> with knowing. So I just want to go back for a minute and sort of understand matchmaking, journalism, Broadway, TikTok. I know it's not, it sounds like, I, I don't know. I don't know what the threat is. Uh, <laughs> different parts of my life, you know, I mean, I had, yeah. I had just different, every, everything's a different chapter. It's almost like, a, I, I don't know. I look at it every once in a while and I went, what's the, what's the common denominator here? But you know, the common denominator is people and stories and people's stories. And I think that that's what it is. Uh, <clears throat> I started out in journalism decades ago because I really loved interviewing people and I loved how people's stories affected other people, you know, and so, and what we could learn from that. And that was before TikTok and Facebook, you know, you know, when it was, it was when I was on a typewriter in the newsroom. Um, but that's, that was, that was kind of where I started in journalism. And then when I got to New York, I was, um, 
I was with somebody, dating somebody, and then eventually married somebody. And we had, we were looking at the social scene here. And we realized that in New York, there were like 200,000 more single women than men in New York. And I said, and this was back in um, <clears throat> early 2000s. And I said, oh my gosh, like that, that's it's so difficult. And it was, I remember so difficult for me to always date. And I always found people I worked with or people that were just in my close circle. And um, I said, it would be really cool to be able to, you know, help women meet, meet people, especially because I was uh, married a little later, later in life. I'd worked really hard for a long time. So he started a, a business, you know, matchmaking. We did it together for a long time. And uh, when we went through our divorce, you know, that was, that was its own funny story because, you know, your, your matchmaker is, you know, is getting divorced. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it makes its own headlines. And, um, but it, what it did do is really teach me about people, about, you know, what we do in terms of what, who we look for, even myself, and maybe somebody, what they look like on paper is definitely not who they are in person. Most 99% of the time, and who you think you want on paper is not who you want in person. And so that was an interesting lesson for me. Um, and, you know, Broadway happened because I've just always been a fan of the arts. And so it really wasn't, that wasn't a, a big stretch. That was something that I've always loved doing. And um, when the opportunity came around to to host a show, I grabbed it. And it wasn't uh, for any reason except that, again, I loved the stories of people on and off the stage because the stories of perseverance and their stories of, of their passion and their stories of so a lot of them had changed careers or had come from somewhere else to be on that stage and given up a lot, I thought was just uh, remarkable. And I wanted to share the stories that people didn't know because it wasn't always the headliner. It wasn't always the big actor or actors. It was, you know, somebody who was doing makeup for 30 years on Phantom or it was somebody that uh, um, there was one woman who was legally blind and she is a, is a swing in Chicago. So um, there's, there's just some really amazing stories that I didn't know about and, and other people didn't know about. And so that's what we you know, set out to uncover. And it's it's been great. And the pandemic was a little blip on the radar now, um, a big blip, but we kept the show going, uh, thank, thankfully, because of the people of Broadway, because of the theater community, because they um, jumped on Zoom and played the guitar or sang in their living room and they did whatever that, you know, that they need to do to kind of get through it. And it really helped us get through it and, and, and keep everything very relevant and present in people's minds. I know that you have been really passionate as of late, as we, as we sort of lightly touched on so many passions of yours over, yeah. over the years menopause, right? Like really putting menopause, yeah. making menopause sexy is clearly oh, thank you. <laughs> clearly the message. Well, with you as the spokeswoman, I feel like, you know, you have had a platform to share, as you said, so many different kinds of stories yeah. and have been so um, vocal about your own journey with it. And, and I think that's part of why you wanted to talk today to kind of start yeah. sharing this message of this new chapter in your life and this new passion that you want to bring to this subject matter. So if you want to just share a little bit about where you are with it right now and what your journey has been and why has this been so important to you to use your platform for? Yeah, well, it was this was an unexpected, unplanned one. Um, never thought if I look back five years ago, I would want to be talking about menopause or midlife or age or any of those topics. 
Right. Uh, those are the ones I always, you know, we, we went through that and hid. Um, but, you know, I had an incident where I landed on the floor of the, the bathroom of the studio, the new studio after uh, severe symptoms that all came on. I had no idea what I was in, what was going on. Never heard of perimenopause, more or less thought about menopause. And I realized that um, it was a much bigger conversation that was going on. And um, so I jumped into it. And then I realized that there were a lot more questions and answers. And so <clears throat> that's something I've always done is look for, you know, look for answers as, as a journalist. And so I did, I, I had to do a lot of my own research. I lost my mother to breast cancer when she was young and um, I didn't ever talk to her about it. Obviously I now look back and realize that she had gone through it while she was going through her cancer treatment. I just didn't know anything about it. And <clears throat> one by one, I really talked to a number of people who, who felt the same way I did. They didn't know what was going on or if they did, they, they hit it or didn't talk about it or didn't want to acknowledge it didn't know anything about hormones and treatments or supplements or anything and didn't know how diet or lifestyle affected it. But what it did do for my age, anyway, at 52, I'm in the workplace still, you know, I'm, I'm at a place that I've, I've wanted to be forever in my career and battling menopause at the same time. Isn't always easy. There's 34 plus symptoms. Some people say there's 80 plus symptoms of it and they affect you in a lot of ways. It affects mental health. It affects you physically. It affects your sleep. It affects brain fog. And I, brain fog was a really big one for me is to go into work and not be able to read the teleprompter or see words that I was familiar with, but couldn't remember was very difficult. And I've since then talked to a, a number of, of different women who have had the same experience and struggled through it. Some of them on Broadway, some of them, uh, you know, in, you know, in, in front of the camera all the time, some of them in schools, some of them in, you know, in uh, old lawyers, so women everywhere. And um, it was really important to me to get out in front of my own thing and talk a little bit about it. And then it just kept building. It was certainly not what I, if you go back and look at my Instagram from maybe a year ago, <clears throat> maybe a little more than a year ago, I was like, here's me at an event and I'm having a great, I'm having time of my life. These are my best moments, hashtag best life. And now it's like, I'm putting on a estrogen patch and, you know, and I had a hot flash last night and it just, I don't know, it just blew up and grew because it was right. real and and people well, are relating to that better. yeah well and they're going through it too yeah. the people that are on my instagram feed don't always feel like they're living their best life ever sometimes it, it sucks and sometimes it's scary and sometimes it's frustrating and so yeah that's and where how, i am today and how to live your best life including all of these other things, yes. right? Like like living your 100%. best life means I have all these very real things and I want to accomplish my goals at the same time. And sort of yep. re-centering the conversation of best life can be admitting our vulnerabilities and sharing information. Um, it's interesting. I was with a group of women this weekend who are about like a, a decade older, right? And, mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. were saying that when they were kind of going through this, um, hormone replacement therapy and sort of all of the options available now were not always suggested because of the risk of breast cancer and, you know, sort sure. of weighing out the risk. And um, so I guess I'm wondering, because I was saying to them in my generation, um, HRT is incredibly popular and constantly suggested. I know you're not a doctor. You're just gathering research no. like everyone else and sharing what you know, and you're not advocating for anyone to do what you do just to share what you're doing. Um, mm -hmm. Is there sort of a new sense that 
if properly diagnosed and dosed hormone replacement therapy isn't as dangerous as it used to be, or the side effects aren't as risky as they used to be, or, or are we just more comfortable now doing it anyway with that information? It's such a great question. And your question goes to why I'm doing all this, because there was a study and it was a hormone study in 2002 that actually had to be halted, but it was, um, it was a study, uh, that was done that talked to, it was a women's health initiative study that was done. And, um, what happened was the results or the headlines that came out of that study <clears throat> out of the big study that was done. And the study was not even specifically for this, but it was an estrogen study. And it was talking about heart risk in women. And the women that were in this study were over, you know, over the, they were postmenopausal. They were not, you know, right, right in the sweet spot of fifty plus. Um, but what what the study did was it had reported that estrogen, you know, increased risk of breast cancer. The headlines scream that out. Women went from forty four percent of women or forty percent of women that were using estrogen and hormone uh, therapy down to four percent. Women flushed their, you know, flushed their hormones down the toilet. So it wasn't that the risk that it wasn't that the anything has changed except the information is being clear and a new study needs to be done. And I was one of the ones that was very afraid. We have this thing in our head. I don't even know where it comes from. Well, I know where it comes from. It came from this, but it, it came from. Uh, estrogen is dangerous. Estrogen increases the risk of breast cancer. And so a lot of doctors don't, don't prescribe it, but that was a study that the results of the study came out and that's not even what the study was really focused on. So there was a lot of misinformation with that study. <clears throat> Unfortunately, you know, media had headlines. And so that's kind of the reason that I feel like I have an obligation and or duty to make sure that it's much more clear and then the other side of it is that uh, doctors get four hours of training in medical school, and there are uh, a number of statistics and officials that will tell you that, of training in menopause, which is nothing. So not all doctors feel comfortable even talking about menopause. And so oftentimes you'll go, and they don't really, you know, if they're not very well equipped to be dealing with this, that's not what they want to prescribe. Or they say, take maca, you know, maca powder, black cohort. Um, you know, uh, do other things. You can work around it. A lot of times antidepressants are, are prescribed. And so I don't think that anything has really changed with regard to the type of treatment. I think it's with regard to the type of information that's out there. And there are some incredible doctors on Instagram and on, uh, and on TikTok, but, you know, that have written books about it that are helping educate people with diet and lifestyle. I have a book that's coming out, um, in, in a year from now to talk more about the lifestyle aspect of it. Cause I'm not a doctor, but it does have a lot of the doctor's research in it because they really went down a deep hole of trying to figure out what was wrong and do it without hormones and hormones. Not everyone can take them. Not just, not everyone can take them. Some people are at extre extremely increased risk, but um, because of my mother's breast cancer, I had the same thought that a lot of women did like, Oh my gosh, I can't do that. I got to fix it. I got to fix it another way. And I wasn't able to do that. I, I literally was not functioning and really depressed and uh, and having a really tough time with work and don't know that I would be still working today had I not done something different in my treatment. Were you, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I'm an actress, you're in front of the camera as a journalist and uh, a personality in in the business, as it were. Was there any part of you that was like, okay, by highlighting this in such a public way, I am now really shining, really shining a light on how old I am and, and sort of all of the things <laughs> that are not how I always wanted to present myself in an ageist society. But tell me a little bit about how you 
put that aside, or maybe it was a non-issue for you, but if it wasn't, what made you decide, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. I think age made me decide that, but it, but it was definitely an issue. It was a fear of mine. I thought, oh my gosh, my boss is going to hold of like me talking about menopause. Are they going to be like, not turned off by it, turned off by the fact that, oh gosh, she's letting us know that like, you know, she's coming to that next chapter of her, of her life. But, you know, I felt such, I felt like it was such an important topic to me that I thought if that happened, uh, then that's the way it's just, I have to deal with that. And ironically, you know, it was completely the exact opposite. They've been nothing but really, really supportive with it all. And I think that um, age also gave me the you know what, it's now or never, like, this is your someday, like, you're not going to have any other opportunity to do it. And I think um, third, thirdly, is that the stories of the women that I was hearing from were so uh, heart wrenching. In a lot of cases, a, lo a lot of people had much more, you know, difficult uh, experiences menopause than I did and much more uh, fear than I had. And I, I just felt like that was my duty. And, and I thought, I've told every story in the world, you know, I've been to Afghanistan and back and Broadway sh shows and covered, you know, breaking news every day and woke New York up and put New York to sleep. And, um, <laughs> that's, the next, <laughs> that's the next, that's the next schedule. I wake right. up, I put them to sleep. <laughs> a memoir. Um, exactly. Right. It, it, a memoir, my life. Um, but, but it was the one story I hadn't covered and it turns out it's the most important one. Yeah. You know, for me, it was the most important one. Women's health is is grossly uh, under finance, uh, under uh, funded. Gross, it's 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 grossly overlooked. Yeah. It is uh, something. Menopause is something we're all going to go through as women. And if we in this age, and I'm you know Gen X generation, if I don't do something for, I don't have daughters of my own, but if I don't do something for the girls that are coming up behind me, like that's not okay. And um, so that's that's how I feel. And you know, look, I don't know that I I set out to you know, to be a menopause advocate, but it happened somehow. And I'm here today. And I feel like if I impact or help or educate, you know, one person, that's a lot, and I'd like to do more. And so that's what I'm looking to do to do now. But yeah, it was scary to talk about that. We used to hide our age all the time. I'm like 40, I'm 38 again. You know, I didn't want to hit 40 and then I hit 50 and I yeah. thought, oh boy. Yeah. No, <laughs> Here we go. Like, oh, that's real. It's getting real. Um, <laughs> I want to just go back for a second in the few minutes we have left because there are so many young people who, who want to go into a career in journalism. I know that sure. the field is so different and the, and the ways in which, you know, you can pursue platforms. There are so many more. Can you sure. just share a little bit? Um, I know, you know, you weren't prepared to do a TED talk right at this moment on breaking into journalism, but if no, you it's okay. do a mini TED talk and just share a little bit from your experience, some words of wisdom for someone who wants to pursue it. Yeah, I, I think that you better love different, you know, you better love different hours. You better love uh, different stories. You better love uh, talking to people, understanding all different sides of something, because I think that that's really, really important as a journalist. Like you have to go in there with a very, very open mind. And sometimes that's not easy. Uh, I also think that it takes, you know, it, it uh, you need to have it like down here in your soul. It's not just about running around and, and jumping in front of the camera. It's really about um, <clears throat> understanding all sides, understanding what's important to you. And then more importantly, what's uh, what what kind of message you're trying to convey and so it was always very 
um, you know, I gave up a lot of holidays. I gave up a lot of family time. I gave up a lot of relationships because for me as a journalist in the field that I'm in, in television field, you move, you move, you move, you move. Finally, you'll settle down. Um, they might like you. They might not like you. They might like your story and writing. They might not like, you know, the biggest thing is you can't take it personally. And that was uh, something I really had to learn. And, um, and it served me in all different areas. It has served me in all different areas. So I don't, I don't take it personally. Um, but it is something that is very, very important to me. And, uh, and I, I think that that's something that people have just like acting, just like theater. I think you have it in your soul and you can't get rid of it. Like you've got to, you know, it's got to come out of you, whether it's in the form of a book or a report or a radio or a podcast or whatever it is. And, um, and I can't think of another career I want, truthfully. I, I really can't. I've found, um, so much of myself in the stories of other people. Right. People always ask me like, for the podcast, you know, who is a dream podcast guest sure. that you haven't interviewed yet? Is there someone that you think would be a dream interview for you that you haven't done yet? That would be like a bucket mm. list interview? Yeah. I mean, I feel like everybody always says Oprah because that would be a dream interview because she's in the field that I, you know, I strive to be at the top of. Um, but you know, I often find that the most important dream interviews, I don't even know who they are because it winds up being somebody that really affects your life and you don't know. I mean, if I, if I think back, the great interviews are not the, you know, are not necessarily somebody that was the biggest celebrity in the world, but it was somebody whose story really resonated or it's a perseverance or it's, it's somebody that did something that against all odds. And yeah. th those are the dream interviews to me. Yeah. That touch you so deeply. I know. It's mm -hmm. such an incredible yeah, you can't ever forget them to do what you do. Um, so what's next? Tell me like what cool. like when we finish talking today, <clears throat> just talk me through a day of Tamson Fidel. Uh well, it started early. It started at eight. <laughs> but it's going when I get off the phone with you, I am uh, deep into research on the documentary and book. I'm, I'm working on a documentary that's going to to go along with that. And so I've got a couple of phone calls to make. I'm making one call to the UK because I need to get some um, news clips from them for uh, from their uh, hormone study and from their recent news of, of HRT. Then I get I have one meeting to do at noon um, on, a, on a midlife women's group and meeting with them. And then, oh, that's in five minutes. And then I go to, I start getting dressed for work at one o'clock. I get makeup done at one 30. I go to an editorial meeting at two o'clock at four o'clock. I'm on the air. I get to the set at three 45, four to seven. I'm on the air. Seven. I get off the air. I go back on the air at 10, uh, nine 45 to be on the set 10 o'clock to 11. And then I get, I uh, head home at 11 o'clock. So I'll be back here in another 12, 11 hours. I really mm -hmm. want to say before I get your little known fact from you, and I'm sure it's done, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this on air because I, I want to make sure this happens, but I yeah. feel like there is a television series in The Divorced Matchmaker. I just feel like the, Thank the story of a couple who sort of that's front and center, what they represent, and that they yeah. don't make it themselves. And I don't know if it's already written or if you have a treatment. It's so- it I have a treatment. Itself. I can't believe you said that. I haven't, I haven't pulled it out forever. I yeah. might need to send it to you. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, I mean, it could be, it could be really hilarious and really painful all in, all in, you know, one show, a dramedy for sure. It's going to be coming your way by the, the okay. end of the week. Okay. I can't I'm gonna, wait. I'm going to look, I haven't pulled it out forever. 
Come on, um, it writes room, itself. Okay, it what is itself? Your... Can you imagine? <laughs> no, it's we done. were we were married in the New York Times, like we had we had the big spread, <laughs> and then the New York Post, page six, divorced. You know, I went. How did this happen? Like, how did yeah. how did this happen? Yeah. And you no. know, you know, page six. It's, yeah. You know, they were just. Uh, brutal. New York Times was like, everything's great. I know. So Look, um, the couple met and got married by <laughs> Rabbi Blah Blah. Exactly. Um, okay. It's such a fall from marital I grace. Know, uh, I know. Bliss. Right off, um, they build you up, they knock you down. And that's oh, the gosh. story. Um, and that you is can choose Little who, known. who wants to play <laughs> you. It's going to be really fun. So that that's done. We figured that out in half an hour. We have, we have your series I love made. It. Um, I love all right. It. What is a little known fact you can share about Tamsin? Little known fact. I can belly dance. That's Great. my little known fact. Great. I'm Lebanese. <laughs> Great. I learned when I was very young, everyone was like, why are all these sexy women at your family's dinner parties? I'm like, well, it's cultural. <laughs> That's my grandma. What do you mean? That's, That's my, my grandma. aunt Joan. Yes. What are you talking about? And by the way, so that... Aunt Joan was probably going through menopause and belly dancing and <laughs> it all comes full was circle. Probably... <laughs> That sweating was probably not the dancing part. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Such for a pleasure. Being on the You're podcast. a great interviewer. You, you are, are a great, great interviewer. interviewee. You see, you do it all. I look forward to more. Tamsin, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Little known fact, if you want to donate to the podcast, just go to littleknownfactspodcast.com forward slash donations. Thank you so much in advance for your generosity. Have a great day. This episode of Little Known Facts was edited by Nicholas Klar. We record in New York City. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded and sung by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.